0: Happy Grandfather's Day, it's um, good to be together, so here we go, tips, what, uh, what's your worst, we've got a bunch of new dads in church with us, uh, if you had a chance to kind of share with them your worst tip, what is it? Not yours, the tip you've heard someone else give you. <laughs> you got any bad tips? Oh, nice. Just do what comes naturally. Yeah, because what naturally comes will be good. Yeah, right. Good, 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 good. Don't worry too much. The children know how to put themselves to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be okay. All right, that's good. There's, there's two bad ones. Uh, let's, give it, uh, let's give us your good ones. What's, what's your, so what's your gold tip? To the child <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. There's actually with look, there's wisdom there. You, um, she, she'll know what to do more than you will, so that's probably helpful.: Yeah. What else have you got? Anything else?: We had someone writ, wrote it all down at 8:30. They were prepared, ready for this, but Oh You've got a good and a bad. Okay, okay. So, as a dad, you've got to get into the wrestle match with your kid. Uh, you might break a few bones. We might lose a child or two. But they'll learn what it is to grow up and be restrained in their power. Yeah, you've got the power, but you, and you just use it enough. To nice, okay. My tip is, do that while they're young, because you'll lose later on. <laughs> You know that transition? You know, it's easy, you pretend not to. Then you can still beat them, but you're having to work pretty hard. And then you pretend you don't care anymore <laughs> as it goes through. There's tips. And the reason I start here I mean, we need tips, so there's not a bad thing to do as a church, is it? to help each other with these kinds of things. But um, one of the reasons I start here, too, is um, we're in Father's Day, and Father's Day makes sense to talk about these things. But we're in a part of the Bible. Where over the years I've heard people tease out from it lots of father tips. We're in this part of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we've been looking at this book over the last while. We're now into kind of the centre section of the book of Genesis if you're here for the first time, this is what we're doing. And we're going through a series of uh, fathers and their children. And I'll give you a little bit of a family line here. Uh, From chapter 12, so right at the very beginning of Genesis, uh, there's a family line coming up. Uh, Right from chapter 12, we meet a man called... (laughs) We, (laughs) We meet a man called Abraham. Uh, his father, Terah, but uh, we, then, we then run down through three generations of uh, this family line, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And these chapters, from chapter 12 on to the end of the Bible, tell the story of Abraham, his marriage, him leaving actually the land that he grew up in, we'll come back to that in a moment, marrying Sarah, uh, having a couple of kids, but one through Sarah, a, a man called Isaac. And then we follow the line of Isaac. Uh, who marries Rebecca, uh, who is related back through the family tree, you can see up into Terra. So it's all kind of quite a complex family life that you see recorded through us for us through uh, Genesis. It's, uh, then Isaac uh, has a couple of kids, and we read, uh, Lynn read that for us. We've got Esau and Jacob, um, but we follow Jacob's line, uh, who marries two women, uh, Rachel, the one he loves, but ends up being tricked into marrying Leah and has 12 sons through them and a few others. And so uh, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel because he becomes the father of the Israelites and uh, the 12 tribes of Israel come. Now that's the rest of the book of Genesis. From chapter 12 on, we're just following these the patriarchs, the father line of this family. And and there's a lots, lots, lots of uh, accounts of their life and what they did, how they lived it and so on. And so lots of people do go to this passage, these chunks of chapters, to get tips on fatherhood. And it is very tempting to offer some tips for us today. There's, um, there's lessons about the dangers of blended families. Uh, So Abraham has uh, Ishmael by another woman and the inability to live together, they have to separate the challenges of blended family. I know some of you have that experience, just to know that it's not unusual if you're struggling. Very few people live in the Brady Bunch, you see. It's always very difficult with that blended piece. But you also get the fact that natural families have their tensions. So chapter 25, actually if you come to your Bible and have a quick look there, chapter 25, you see that um, even uh, the, the twins that are born in the womb uh, that, that are um, conceived and are in the womb, you can see that actually there in verse 22, uh, two boys are already fighting with each other in the womb. So if you've, if you've got boys in the family, what do you expect to have happen? They've already been doing it, right? It's just part of the nature of boys and they'll, they'll have a fight all the way through. And these two boys, Esau and Jacob, fought. There are lots of lessons about how these things happen. Um, and, uh, um, the danger of playing favourites. You get this, um, uh, have a look there at verse 28, uh, 27. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, quilting with his mum. Isaac, all breeding, or growing, and learning to write and spell, Adrian, so that, uh, that would be a helpful thing for him to do. Um, but Isaac had a taste for wild game, Uh, Isaac who had a taste of a while ago loved Esau but Rebecca loved Jacob quick parent tip there don't play favorites it always goes bad Um, it's a very dangerous thing to do but there's some things you might tease out but they're often negative lessons except perhaps for this one the influence of a father the influence of a father emerges through these chapters both positively and negatively Let me give you the positive first. Abraham, uh, the father we saw right at the very outset, chapter 12, he is called, chapter 12, verse 1, to leave the land that he grew up in. And you find out that the land he grew up in, Joshua chapter 24, he was a pagan worshipper, he was an idol worshipper in that context. And he is called by God into relationship with God. And what's powerful is him having responded to the call of God in his life to become a follower of God shaped his whole family. Now, not all of his children chose the way of God. Adults make their own choices. But he brought to this family that had just been idol worshippers all their days, a whole new way of living. And I want to just encourage you to realise, fathers, that you have a profound, powerful influence on your families. I know some of you actually have come out of um, a background that was Uh, um, messed up, corrupted, destroyed and so on, by your choice to come and follow the Lord Jesus, you have set up a legacy for generations to come that's powerful and compelling. Uh, Don't don't be unaware of that. Uh, Pay attention to influencing that for good because you are a massive impact on your children. And I say all of this actually because we live in a time where I think fathers uh, are not encouraged to see how much what a kind of a difference they play for their children's life. It's a complex thing, I think, where we have sought to kind of... We've decided as a culture that patriarchy is bad because of the abuses of power and so on, and so we've tried to equalise mother and father in the parenting thing. But in making men and women equivalent, what we've inadvertently done is lost the power of fatherhood. Because what's happened... And we've created absent fathers. Why? Why? Because the mother, by virtue of just the biology of of conceiving a child within her, carrying a child for nine months, giving birth and suckling a child, innately has a relationship with a child that's intimate and close and, and is compelling for the mother. You don't have to tell a mother. It's powerful. But a dad, a dad brings forth a child in a moment of whatever and that's it. It, it, they can walk away, they've sired a child, they've brought forth a child, but they've not had any of the experience of the maternal part, and so they've often been playing golf or surfing and it's just all been happening without their attention. And without social cultural expectations that a man takes responsibility for the children he has sired, men abdicate. And that's the culture we're living in, it's exactly what's happening. Men abdicate because they can. A mother can't, and so men do. And we want to bring back the power of you as a father. Whether you're present or not, you will shape your kids and learn to shape them positively because there is a negative influence you can bring into your kids. This is the crazy thing through the book of Genesis. There are three times where a husband betrays his wife because of his fear of a powerful ruler. Abraham, in chapter 12, Pretends says that his wife is his sister, so that the ruler of that area won't kill him when he takes her because she's so beautiful, and so they conspire together. Now there's a half truth to that, but um, and does it again. Um, so so, uh, uh, chapter twelve and then chapter twenty, he does the same thing with his wife. A husband sells his wife off to a harem because he doesn't want to get hurt. Now that bad. Bad, But here's the thing. There's a third occasion where the same thing happens. A husband betrays his wife as a sister to the ruling power. It happens in chapter 26 to Isaac, the son of Abraham. The apple does not fall far from the tree. There's an influence that fathers have just by being a father. You do have it. Take responsibility for that influence. And there's an influence that you have that will be negative or positive. They will bring to bear the things that you have had that's part of your life as well. Now, why do we talk about all of this? Why are we going through these kinds of things? Because on Father's Day, you will be very aware of the influence you've had for good or bad. It's the kind of thing that comes to the surface as we uh, we reflect on being fathers. And it's an extraordinary thing to notice and it's an extraordinary thing to then pay attention to. And, and men amongst us, um, if you've chosen the Lord Jesus, praise God that you've now got the opportunity to produce a legacy that's new and different. Pray about it. Invest in it. If you're in a family context where things, are, you, you're aware that you bring all kinds of stuff that's going to be problematic... Make sure you put your kids into a context where they're surrounded by others who share the values you want them to embrace. Make sure you proactively put your kids somewhere where they'll be surrounded by people who share the values you want them to embrace. Now, if that's the Lord Jesus, which I trust it is, put them in youth group. Make sure you take them there. Make sure you get them to EV Kids every week. Make sure you get them into churn. Make sure you run them all through that because the help of others will temper your challenges that you might bring and be prayerful in it all. Don't play favourites. Pay attention to the fact that you have initiated the bringing of these children into the world and therefore invest prayerfully in their lives. Interestingly, having said all of that, The research indicates that evangelical Christians, men, are more likely than any other father to be invested in the life of their kids. It's interesting. More likely to show affection to, uh, be engaged with, have a relationship with. There you are. The work of God in our lives. Now I think there's some hugely wonderful tips, but many of them are negative and there's a reason for that. We'll come back to that in a moment. There's lots of tips, but that's not the point of this passage. The point of the passage is actually to show us something bigger and deeper and more wonderful. The point of the passage is to lift our sight to learn to know our Heavenly Father, to be introduced to the God of the universe from whom all fatherhood derives its name God the Father. And I want to take you through who this God is. And in particular, I want to show you this morning that this is a God, the Heavenly Father is a God who wants to bless you. And he has a very particular way in which that blessing comes. So I want to show you that God is a God of blessing. And there's a particular way that blessing comes. Let's work our way through this. Uh, There is a God who wants to bless What's extraordinary is if you come back to Genesis chapter 12, come back there with me. Grab your Bible or listen in if you haven't got one. The first 11 chapters uh, recount not only the creation and then the human rebellion against the God who gave us such a good place, but it recounts the slow degrading and polluting and corrupting of the world with sin. Things get worse and worse and worse. And there's a lot of language of God's curse and judgment and death. But when you get to chapter 12, verse 1, you get this incredible turnaround. In just a few verses, listen to what's said. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Suddenly, in a part of the Bible where it's constantly been about cursing, chapter 12, verse 1, 3, you get this repetition of the language of blessing, 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 God's determination to bless, because God now has decided to turn things back around. He is determined to bring blessing into his world, particularly there, verse 3, blessing to all the peoples on the earth. God is a God who wants to bless How does he bring about this blessing? Well, he brings it about because of his character expressed in a particular way. You see, what's clear as you follow down through the offspring of Abraham, that there's a definite line that we follow. There's lots of relatives mentioned through the book of Genesis. Abraham has numbers of kids. Terah, his father, has a number of kids. But you, you hear about them. They kind of play bit parts. But there's one particular line that's paid attention to. It's Abraham, one of his sons, Isaac, and one of his sons, Jacob. They're the ones we focus on. Um, You see, we are shown particularly that God is determined to focus on these ones and these ones exclusively. Come with me to chapter 26 of Genesis. Chapter 26, you see, Abraham has Abraham has been chosen to be the blessing, he's going to be blessed. He has a couple of kids, Ishmael um, through Hagar, uh, then he has Isaac through his wife Sarah. Ishmael's the oldest one, Isaac's younger. But look at chapter 26, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said... Don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my cards. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. God has chosen one child of Abraham to bless him. And we see now the blessing come through this one, Isaac. Now Isaac has two kids. He has Esau, the eldest, and then Jacob. We heard about that in the reading. Two nations in the womb, two children, twin boys wrestling with each other. Um, very different kinds of boys. One is the strong man of the field and one is the reflective man within the tents. You've got this very different style about them but only one of them is told that they will be the chosen one and we're anticipating that in verse 23 that God says the elder will serve the younger. It's not the one you expect. The one we actually have chosen for us, come across to 28 verse 13, 28 verse 13, And above it stood the Lord, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land. You see the promise is now repeated to the next one down the line. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread across the... Verse 9, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Verse 14, I am with you and will watch you. God has chosen a particular child each of the way down the generations. Now, in each case, here's the thing. There's nothing special about the child that God chose. Abraham had a number of kids, but he chose Isaac. Isaac had a number of kids. He chose Jacob. But there's nothing special about each child chosen. In fact, they're unspecial. Ishmael was the eldest, but God chose the younger. And he's chosen before he'd shown faith, by the way. Isaac's kids, again, it's not the eldest, the one you'd expect, Esau. It's Jacob. And Jacob is the least impressive of the twins. His name is grasping. Uh, Or it became a saying, deceit, his name. And that was his character. You come across to chapter 27 and there's a whole account there that's worth reading later. Well, it's all worth reading, but... Where um, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Esau um, come to their father to get a blessing, and Jacob, deceptively with the um, conspiracy of his mother, resolved to deceive their father to get the blessing instead of Esau. So he dresses like Esau and brings a meal like Esau and puts on clothes like Esau, so that so that when he comes to the father, Isaac thinks it's Esau and blesses him as if he's, he is. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And yet this is the one chosen. In each case, God is emphatic. He chose these kids intentionally. Why? Because God is revealing something massive. Here it is. God is revealing what he is like as a father. He is the God who chooses the least, the weak. The unworthy, the least worthy. They're the ones he favours. Why? Three reasons. Because he's gracious. And he's determined to give hope to the unworthy. And he's determined to undo the proud. You see, we're being introduced to the Father God And he is the God who puts his affection on those that are unworthy graciously. He is rich in mercy to those that are unworthy. He is holy. He is a righteous God. But his glory is seen first in his graciousness. He chooses these descendants, the offspring of Abraham. He chooses to bless the particular child in the line of Abraham because they're not worthy. And that's the point. In fact, don't go through the book of Genesis trying to find out you know, what have they done to make God... No, 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 that's not the point. The very point here is that there's nothing in them that causes God to choose them. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 9. He makes this exact point. He says, while the twins were in the room, in the womb, before they'd done neither good nor bad, he chose Jacob over Esau. It had nothing to do with their merit... And that's the point. The God who is Father relates to us not according to our merit because none of us have merit. And he's wanting to make this point to us. You see, why is this important to know on Father's Day of all days? Because you will be aware of the negatives of your fatherhood. You uh, may have heard me go through some of these negative lessons of parenting and how Father's influence for bad and so on, and you may have found yourself thinking, I'm glad I wasn't written up in the Bible because it would have looked pretty bad too. You might have thought to yourself, um, uh, yeah, I'm so conscious today of all of this stuff. Well, why did God choose this messed up group of men? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. To give you hope today, man and woman. Christianity is not... God loves the impressive and the morally good, so learn to be impressive. No. Christianity is the exact reverse. God loves the unworthy because he is compassionate. He is gracious. This is so important to get hold of and so hard to get hold of. Uh, I read research recently that um, was done in America of uh, 20 to 29-year-old church attenders... 20 to 29-year-old people who go to church, were asked, what do you need to do to get to heaven? 65% said, be good, of churchgoers. That is the exact opposite of the biblical message. The biblical message is there's no one righteous, not even one. There's nothing that you can do to deserve and earn your way to God. If you think it's based on being good, none of us have any hope. And so to make this point, God chooses a particularly unspecial group of men down through the family line of Abraham to say, this is the father, this is what I'm like, to give you hope this morning. Because if he chose Jacob, well, I've got hope. If he chose Abraham and Isaac, who both betrayed their wives to kings and powers to give them over, I've got some hope. God is gracious. You said the lessons on parenting were mainly negative through this book. But the lesson on the great father, the God who is father, is that he is compassionate, gracious and merciful. So we have hope. And I might therefore offer, as a father who learns from the father who is over all, learn to be gracious and compassionate. To your kids, especially when they're young, learn to be tender and gentle with them. Let them win at wrestling every now and then. Now some of that's, that's valuable and important, but far more important is to look to the heavens and know that the God who actually is, is this kind of God. He's the God of grace, compassion and mercy. And so there is hope for sinners. There's a massive truth, you see. But the next one, the last one, is bigger and deeper. God is determined to give blessing to his world, to bless the peoples of the earth. He is determined to do that by being gracious and compassionate. But how does he bring that blessing? How does he bring that blessing? Well... It's an incredible story. Come back to Genesis 12 again. Because you see the key to it in those first three verses. Do you see how verse 3 ends? And all peoples on earth will be blessed. All peoples on earth will be blessed. Do you see the last couple of words, though? Through you. How does blessing come to the world? through his chosen one, the one, verse 2 and 3, who will be blessed. So God chooses one to bless, to make a great name of, to be a blessing, to bless this one. But then verse 3, he says this, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you so that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What God is teaching here is the way that he will bring blessing into the world is through his blessed one. Now, it starts off as Abraham. But what happens as you go through uh, these, these accounts, come to chapter 17. Let's see if we can find it here. Chapter 17, verse 7. As you go through these accounts, uh, I will establish verse 7. Verse uh, 7. I'll establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants. Um, I will make your descendants and I will be their God. You see how he promises to bless Abraham and his descendants? The promise is now connected to his children and he's going to do it through the children of this one man. But then Abraham has descendants and out of those, if you come across to... Um, chapter 20, verse 3, what I want, to, want you to notice is, as you come uh, to this blessed one, what happens is, the way blessing occurs is your attitude to the blessed one. That's, why, that's how you make sense of chapter 20, verse 3. God came to Abimelech. Do you remember I mentioned the times where the husband, Abraham, gave his wife over to a ruler Uh, pretending that she was his sister so that he didn't get killed. Terrible thing. But look what God does. God, verse 3, comes to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now the point here isn't that she's just a married woman. The point is she's married to Abraham. And Abimelech, if you touch that man's wife, you're in trouble. Because I've made him the key to blessing. Whoever blesses him will be blessed, whoever curses him will be cursed. You get this in a very interesting episode near the end, come to chapter 30, with one further descendant, with Jacob, uh, a later descendant of course, the grandson of Abraham. Uh, Jacob has now gone to find a wife from uh, his relatives, hence the intermarriage kind of piece, and he's with his soon-to-be father, or Laban, and Laban is a sneakier man than... Jacob's met his match almost with Laban. Um, and Laban tries to cheat him out of things and so on and so forth. It's an extraordinary account. But have a look at verse th- chapter 30, verse 27. Laban said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me Because of you. I've learned that the Lord has blessed me because of you. You see, God is determined to bless his world. How does he go about doing it? By making one man the object of his blessing and his descendants, and making it that your attitude to that man's offspring is the key to your blessing. If you stand against his offspring, you will die. If you touch that man's wife, you will die. Uh, but if you bless this man, this offspring, if you come close to this offspring, you will be blessed. This is how God has chosen to do it. And it makes sense of verse chapter 26, verse 11, where there's another episode of Isaac who hands his wife over. And God says, whoever harms this man will die. Because Isaac is the center of blessing. Is this making sense? Now, here's where I think it blows our mind. None of this, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, none of this came anywhere near the shape of the promise originally to, to Abraham in Genesis chapter, chapter 12, verse 3. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it was God's determination through this man and his offspring to bring blessing to the whole earth. Where we've seen two offspring of Abraham and none of it brought blessing to the whole earth. It was just the Middle East. It was just some peoples and nations. But then along came the final offspring. The one great offspring of Abraham. The child of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The one to whom the promise always referred. Jesus. The one who was worthy of being blessed. Who was truly the man of faith. Who himself never sinned. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, blessed of God to be blessings to the world. But they're not worthy of the blessing themselves. It's just God in his compassion, grace and mercy chooses to bless them. And through them, therefore, bless those that bless them. But finally, an offspring arrives who himself never does sin, who is truly worthy of that blessing, to be the blessed one, the man of faith. And then you get in Galatians chapter 3, this extraordinary insight the Apostle Paul is given to have. Have a look there in verse 16, chapter 3 of Galatians. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed or offspring. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. (laughs) What the Apostle Paul is given to see that 4,000 years before us, 2,000 years before him, 1,800 years before him, These promises were given to Abraham, his seed, his seed, that your seed will be blessed and will be the means of blessing all the nations of the earth. And it never happens. You get a taste of it. And then finally, the seed to whom the promise refers comes. Jesus, the child of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he fulfills... All the anticipation through the book of Genesis. And Paul here explains therefore how it is that you can get right with God. How is it that you can, verse 11, be declared right by God, sinner unworthy that we are? Failed father, failed mother, failed person. How is it that a sinner can be right with God? Well, through the fulfilling of the promise to Abraham that one day his seed would come and would bring blessing. The seed singular, see how it's anticipated, centuries before, by the hand of God. And the point of blessing is this, if you want to find the true blessing of God, which is to be reconciled to God, to be brought back into relationship with God, to have God as your God and you as his person. If you want that true blessing of God, how do you find it? Your attitude to the offspring. Is the key. Because whoever blesses the offspring will be blessed. How is it this happens though to unworthy people? Well, Paul explains this as well. He says in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's an extraordinary insight. What the Apostle Paul says is that we're unworthy, we deserve to be cursed. The law tells us we've failed. Our lives don't bear scrutiny. We're under a curse. But God determines to bless. And so what he does is he brings his blessed son into the world. And that son, the offspring, takes upon himself our curse to pour out his blessing to us who don't deserve it. Here is the compassion, grace and mercy of God working all through history To make it possible for people sitting in the nations, in the whole earth, to find the hope of reconciliation with God. Those who don't deserve it. Who are saved by God's grace, not our works. You know, all of this doesn't just mean we're pardoned. It doesn't just mean that our sins are no longer counted against us. What it means is that we're, we're adopted. We're made sons and daughters of a heavenly God. We are invited into his home. He gives us his Holy Spirit, says the Apostle Paul, so that by virtue of the Holy Spirit in our lives now, we are made one with him, blessed to be in relationship with him forever. Um, Friends, today the question for us is, do you know this blessing of God? Do you know what it is to be in a relationship with a God who is gracious and compassionate, who has made it to bring blessing into your life, who wants to bring, blessing, to bring you back to himself? Do you know that blessing of relationship with God? It's not based on how you've lived. It's based on your attitude towards the seed, the offspring, the blessed one, Jesus. If you would but just come back to him, acknowledge him as the offspring who is in himself the Son of God. Who has died for you to take upon himself your curse, that you might be forgiven and receive his blessing. If you come to him and kiss the Son, receive the Son, you too will find life eternal. And be invited into the very home of God, where you can now call him Abba, Father intimately relating to the God of the universe. Do you know that experience? For those of you who do, can I urge and encourage you to set up a new culture in your home where your family learns to love this God and know this God. Bring them to those things you need to bring them to. Participate, engage so that your children grow up to have the experience of seeing God as their father through Jesus. But for those of you today who don't know this experience... Today's a day to do it. I'm going to pray for us. You might like to pray along with me. Let me do it. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that you have, you have unhatched a, a plan that has gone for centuries to bring the true offspring, the great son, the blessed one, that those who look to him might themselves find blessing. We thank you for your sovereign choice, your sovereign purposes to work throughout history to bring this about and and we would pray, please, that those of us who do know you, that you might help us lead families in such a way that the family learns of you and learns of you well. I would, though, pray for those amongst us who don't yet know you that you might bring them to faith even today, that you might cause them to see the sun to see this offspring, to see your great purposes to bring blessing into their life and this morning to come and receive it. I pray you'd bring that blessing even now. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.